Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 126 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer, director, producer J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I'm Matt Crandall, here with my co-host Marcelo Inestroza, as we continue to watch Fringe. We are in the final season, the fifth and final season. Today, we are going to be talking about episodes two and three of that last stretch of our favorite Fringe division, trying to battle... The Evil Observers, episode two of the season, In Absentia, aired October 5th, 2012, written by David Fury and J.H. Wyman, directed by Jaws 2's Genoke Swartz. I don't know how I feel about this episode. I don't, I don't know. Um, because I, I, I do appreciate the, the, the situation that they're in, but I'm like, guys, there's, there's, there's 13 episodes left. And I feel that, I feel that although the story is moving forward, I'm having trouble feeling invested and I'm having, this is gonna this is going to sound funny. I'm having trouble giving a shit and I don't know why I have no idea what it is. Like, I don't know what it is. It's, it's probably the time jump where we are still getting up to speed on what this new timeline, new timeline, not in the sense of universe timeline, but timeline new to us in this prime universe, getting used to what the situation is here with the evil observers, the resistance, and how all of that clicks together. And so a lot of this episode is about this no-go zone that the university has become because there's some sort of secrets to the observers in these locked doors and team fringe wants to find a way in to see if they can retrieve information that's going to help them take down the observers because Walter had a plan. He doesn't remember what it is, but we think that if we unlock a lot of these mysteries and put them back into place, then Walter's pieces will click back into place. And this episode's main thrust starts when a loyalist officer is captured by Edda, and that loyalist officer, Manfredi, is played by the dude who was part of the others, Redzinski on Lost, and seeing another bad robot face show up is fun. But quickly, this becomes a, a catch-up episode where we learn about the people who are working with the Observers and kind of why they are. And a lot of it is this interrogation where Olivia sees the lengths that Henrietta is willing to go to to get this information, and she's starting to question what has happened to my daughter in these intervening years when I haven't been around, and seeing her go to extreme lengths, extreme lengths in this episode, without regard for human life, is kind of horrifying. So we are learning about this character, but so are people who are related to this character. So I thought that was the interesting dynamic, and I hate to always sound like a broken record, because since we've gotten to Letters in Transit and last week, I still don't think this was the road the Fringe should have taken in their final season. And watching this, and especially the next episode we're going to talk about, I also agree that I really have a hard time getting as invested in this new plot as I was in the way the show used to be. Yeah, I mean, you do mention that one of the one of the shining points of this episode is that we do get a better understanding of why the observers have have human soldiers and why the human soldiers 
feel that they have to be they have to be beholden or they have to be loyal to the uh the observers but everything that this that everything that this officer said turns out to be a bunch of bullshit anyway so i'm like okay so you set up this scene you you set up this character as one thing and you make us care about him throughout most of the episode but then at the very end you take that away from us and then you have Etta show that she still has a bit of mercy uh w- when she ends up letting the guy go uh if if i was in her position i would have i would have been pissed off and i would have shot that guy i would have i would have i would have let him think he got away with it but i would have shot him cuz that would have really fucking pissed me off um also also i i do understand where livia is coming from in that she has missed a giant part of her daughter's life but she has to kind of understand where she is and she has to understand that if you want that if you want to break through and if you want to defeat these the these larger the, these this larger oppressive force that is over you you have to go to their level so you have to do things that you aren't necessarily comfortable with or happy with to 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 be able to get to where you want to to where you want to be and to be able to get rid of them um but i i don't think that olivia fully understands what etta has gone through and where she is at this point i i don't think that she truly truly gets it and i don't think she will get it until something happens a little bit later on yeah and that's part of what this season is going to be is her realizing all that has happened and how that has shaped her daughter in her absence. And even though, even though Olivia falls for it and doesn't want to kill Manfredi and thinks like we got to show the humanity to this guy and they let him go. And Edda says, this was the mistake. He's not going to go to the resistance. He's not going to do all this stuff. He's just going to walk away scot-free, but not really scot-free because that device that they use on him ages, ages him up real quick. So they took away about, 45 years of this guy's life so there is still a gigantic cost to that guy who we aren't supposed to feel bad for but because they cast an actor that we kind of know we're inclined to like show a little bit more empathy even though on lost he wasn't the most likable character either but i thought that that was interesting and we continue this thread of walter videotaped himself saying the plan and we need to get the videotapes and the video camera out of the amber and we need this energy and so they have to take Edda's necklace and use the the solder to bridge this thing so she takes the bullet off she keeps the bullet but the the chain is gone and that just reminds us again that this is a world where resources are scarce and even things that you hold dear you sometimes have to let go for the greater good even something as small as a chain you wear around your neck if it means that using that metal to then do something that's then going to allow you to do something to maybe get an idea of how you can knock the observers even down a peg, then it's worth doing it. We get some sort of alias style action when they have to go into the building and they are trying to go through the security door with this retinal scan and stuff. And all of a sudden the radio goes off saying, man, Freddie, why are you in this building? And there's a tense moment where we think our people are going to get caught. And I enjoyed that because at least it was some sort of forward momentum. And there felt like there was stakes where if our part of our fringe team were to get caught, 
and separated, then that could be catastrophic to the plan. And I certainly wouldn't want to see that. But I liked that the heart of this episode is mostly in those interrogation scenes between Etta, Manfredi, and Olivia watching. But we still had some action to keep a little bit of forward momentum going while we were mostly at the human level this episode. I also I also really liked the little tiny moment when uh when Edda and Peter are making their way out or making are making their way into the 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 building where they where um where they you know can turn on the power for the lab and they go past a bunch of rooms where individuals are being held and Edda sees the head, her, her reaction and her, her instant, instant, you know, I'm so fucking pissed. I want to go in and kill everyone was really, really indicative to the type of individual that this world has made her. And I think, and I think that it was very important for Peter to see that, but not Olivia in some aspects, because I think Peter knows a little bit more about at his state of mind than Olivia does right now. I now I now w- with me saying that I I have nothing to back it up, but I just think I just think that he does for some for some reason. Um, I I don't know why I think that, but I I, I think that he has uh, a different uh, a a different vibe with his daughter than Olivia does. Olivia to me at this point feels like she's still trying to you know get closer to her daughter. She's still trying to force her way in when Peter to me feels like he's already got, he's already gotten in with his daughter to a certain point. They have a, they have a certain understanding with one another. Yeah, they do. And that was an interesting moment, especially because earlier in the episode, Edda is willing to take emotion out of it and torture man, Freddie and do this stuff without feeling and without guilt to get the information. But when they are at the lab, and she sees Simon's disembodied head, it triggers a response that is emotional. So it lets us know that she does still have human feelings somewhere in there and does still care about things, even if earlier in the episode, when she's torturing and feeling nothing in front of Olivia, Peter sees that there is still a spark of humanity and fire within her. But they have to check that because if they can't get out of there, because she goes on some sort of emotional rampage, it's going to be bad for the greater good. So I like that, you know, the mother is judging the daughter in a different way than the father is. And the father is able to, you know, speak with her and kind of level everything out so that they can progress on the mission. And of course, when they do all of this and we start to see one of the videotapes at the end where Walter does say that we are... You got to watch 18 videos that I made. It's not just one. I didn't give you everything on this one tape. It's X amount of videos. And if you're watching this, you are humanity's only hope. So help me, Walter Bishop Kenobi. You're our only hope. And we're going to have to retrieve a few more tapes on this side quest before we can take on the big boss battle that we know is eventually coming on this show. Yeah, I um I I I I I really really like the idea of Walter's brain being so fried that the the only way that he thought of dealing with this critical information is putting it in VHS tapes. Um now I I don't necessarily agree with the amount of VHS tapes that he made, but I do like this I do like this sort of uh treasure hunt that he has set up for his, uh himself and the fridge team. I think that allows 
the fringe writers to sort of to sort of do episodes uh, around the around the bigger picture. But I think in these episodes, they're going to fill us in with some of the things that we missed uh, uh, since we were thrust back into this timeline that we don't even want to be in right now. Um, also, I found it I found it uh, uh, really interestingly inconvenient that the tapes were all eaten up and the, the, some of the tapes didn't play and you were given some information, but you weren't given everything. I thought that was fun as well. Which brings us to the third episode, The Recordist, that aired October 12th, 2012, written by Graham Rowland, directed by Jeff T. Thomas, which does begin with them realizing that the tape that they are watching is the third tape in a series. Now, Marcelo, we're watching a, a filmed explanation of something on a bad robot show? This can't be happening again. Yeah, um, I, I will not lie. In the last episode and in this episode, I'm like, huh, where have I seen this before? Did I did I see this thing with a with a guy in a hatch and a coat? This seems very familiar. So I was like, huh, I see you. I see you bad robot folks. I I bet you it I bet you in the offices of the fringe writing team, I bet you that they they had the bad robot billboard up there on the page and Wyman was like, you know what? I need a device and he started throwing shit at the wall. <laughs> and he's and they're like, and they're like, let's do, let's do this, let's do this lost sort of conceit. It was, it, it worked in Lost, and why, you know, why wouldn't work? Why wouldn't it work in this instance as well? But this episode, I kind of like, I'm like, I, I, I didn't like this episode. I mean, I, I won't go as far as hating it, but I'm like, I really, really didn't like it because I thought that it was kind of unnecessary. Um, yeah, I just did not like it at all. And I might go one step further and go out on a limb and say this might be my least favorite episode of the series, <laughs> which anyone listening will know that I, there's been a few that I have not enjoyed. <laughs> and this one definitely ranks up there as feeling really inconsequential. So we go off on this treasure hunt after we watch, yes, the training video number three from the Amber Station, and we find out that we've got other videotapes we have to retrieve, but also some coordinates and some mineral or something. Basically, we need we need to trade our cow for some magic beans is what we need to do. And we go to this place and find out that there's a group of people with a horrible skin rash that Fringe loves to do people with some sort of physical ailment living in a community. And... These people record information and store it in this library on these holographic data cubes so that everything from the start of the invasion onward will be documented. They are basically observing these events and writing them down, which is ironic when you're going to war with the observers. So these people who we are calling, you know, the recordists are recording all of these events for posterity and so that future generations can learn from the mistakes of whoever gives a shit. I certainly didn't. And as we're going on, we find out that it is this mine that they live near that causes this weird skin issue. But also this mine has this resource that Team Fringe needs a big basket of to be able to move forward in our plan to stop the observers and do our shit. So 
the main people that we follow in this community are a father and son who both have different ideas and the son thinks that they should do everything they can to help and the dad doesn't want to sacrifice what they've got and so there's a lot of familiar themes that we have seen played on this show before kind of recycled like this what what sacrifice is too great for the greater good is it going to be worth it and you know fathers and sons and people being disappointed in each other so i thought it it's fine it's fine but at this stage of the season i really start to worry that when this got greenlit we knew it was a shorter final season it was 13 episodes it was not 22 it was we're giving you guys the send off tell the story you want to to ride this show off into the sunset and also hit exactly 100 episodes back in the day of syndication where that meant something. So this 13 episode season was going to get fringed to exactly 100. And an episode like this makes me think that when they started this final season, they only had eight episodes worth of story. But somebody said it has to be 13 because we have to hit 100. So either make the story grander, but we aren't going to give you any money to make this story grander. So find a way to do something. And this just felt like a tire spinning. Everything that happened in this episode literally could have been an email where like Astrid and Etta emailed some source who then just showed up with this bucket of mineral onto the next thing. So the fact that we're we're spending so much time in this world, especially this being a different part of humanity that I just didn't care about. If they had shown up and the leader of this group was actually somebody that we knew from past seasons in this new remix timeline, I would have cared a lot more. Like, I know that we burnt Bookstore Dude in the premiere, but if they had shown up and it was him who was the leader of this camp and him who had to go down and dig the minerals and and give his life in the process, then I might have cared more if it was Markham. Like, if it was anyone, but the fact that it was all new characters, I'm just like... You're already asking so much for me to care about Henrietta, who's in, who's new on Team Fringe. Now you're asking me to care about Mystery of the Week people? That's on episode three of your season? Save this for episode six when I'm already fully invested, not when I'm just dipping my toes in the water and now I'm like, this water's a little chilly. Yeah, Um. to move to your point, I think that's an excellent point. I think that they should have... I think that they should have made the leader of these of these of these forest people, someone that we knew to, to, to that extent, I'm like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been so cool? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been cool if it was actually like Sam Weiss for some whacked out reason, right? That would have been really cool because I, because I, I think, I think that Sam Weiss was a really cool character. He was a sort of a pain in the ass for, uh, for, most of his run because he knew stuff that he that he wouldn't tell either Olivia or or uh, or Nina Sharp exactly when they need to know it. But he's a better character, I, I thought. And you're right. This episode, this episode felt like a, a stop in nowheresville for no apparent reason at all. I, like when when you just said when you just mentioned it was it was highly likely that they had eight episodes of story i'm like 
How irresponsible is that of J.H. Weinman and the writing team at Fringe to have only eight episodes of story and think that that is going to be good enough? I don't, I don't understand how they could go into a a potential final season and only have eight episodes. I'm like, how could you do that? Yeah, I wonder, and you know, I'm sure that they would argue that they had 13 episodes of story they really were dying to tell, and it's only in hindsight that we can say, are you sure? And maybe, you know, this story, like I said, the father-son cowards and heroes and the cost of heroism versus being a coward and just coasting along, maybe somebody felt really strongly like that was something that they hadn't hit and that they really wanted to. But as a observer of the series, I just didn't feel that that was the case. I didn't think that this brought any new themes to the table. I didn't think those are themes we needed reminding of before we hit this final 10 stretch. But I I, I just had a really hard time. As you said last episode, it's tough to care about some of this scenario because it's so far removed from what Fringe normally was. And the fact that last episode I was barely caring and then they give us this episode where like I could not have cared any less it's getting to a point where episode four and five really better bring the A game because I would hate to mentally check out of a show that I used to love halfway through their final season. And especially where, you know, a lot of this is feels like video game side quests so far, where like we're hunting the tape. We have to infiltrate this building with stealth to be able to get this thing that'll allow us to get that tape. Here, we have to infiltrate this community. We have to find out that we need this resource to then be able to do this thing that then we're going to go back to our home base. And that isn't how Fringe operated before. It, it always, even when they did Mysteries of the Week that I didn't like as much, they were usually engaging and playing on some sort of trope that we knew from other sci-fi or fantasy and reworking those in a new cool way. But the structure of this season so far just feels like futuristic video game and I'm not as invested in the characters and I really want to spend more time with Peter and Olivia and they are so traumatized by acclimatizing to this new scenario and the fact that they missed all this time with their daughter that even when they're together it's not like the fun banter or you know romance that we come to expect from Peter and Olivia because they're in this doomsday scenario and have this huge gap of time so i i'm just frustrated that you know Walter still gets some great Walter moments along the way but everything else is a big ask and the show is not bringing enough for me to think that that bet was was paying off. Yeah, I mean, look, look, the one the one part in this episode that I didn't really give a shit about or or a damn about um the the one part that I found intriguing at least was the was the quick scene between Olivia and Peter where Olivia goes, you know, I Olivia basically says I'm still dealing with the with the fact that you know, you know, um, you know, uh, for us, I lost our daughter and I could, you know, I, I couldn't deal with with your positivity that we were going to find her again. I had this overwhelming feeling of dread because I just knew that when we found her or when we found her be, being the old version, the younger version of uh, Henrietta, it wasn't going to be good. 
So I did like that scene and that Olivia and Peter are sort of working through that. But to but to but to go off to go off your point, this is the final season. There is not there is no time for this for this bullshit. Why in the look now? I now I I don't mean to bring it up again, but I'm like, do you think that they were told at the end of season four that season five was going to be their last run? Do you think that they were told? They did know. So when when this got when this got renewed and it got renewed just before, like two weeks before the finale of season four, they made it official. So that's why they left that ten second tag at the end of season four on. But it was announced that it was renewed for a fifth final season. And again, it was to reach that magic 100 number that 10 years ago really meant something. Okay. Based on that, if they knew that this was their last stab at this amazing show, why in the bloody hell does this season feel like they weren't told? It was like it was it was like J.H. Wyman and whoever was left on the French staff got into a room and they were like, oh, fucking shit. This is our last chance. What the fuck are we going to do? Like this story doesn't seem to have the focus that other stories ha- have had in the in the fringe pantheon uh, uh, from from earlier seasons. Why do you think that is? I'm, I'm just not sure. <laughs> and what's funny I don't put much stock into like IMDB ratings or anything, but after this episode was over and I really did not care for it, I was like, I got to know if I'm like way wrong on this. And this episode was the lowest rated episode of this season. And one of the lowest rated episodes of fringe in total on IMDB, it got like a 7.7, whereas most of the episodes get between like a, an eight and a nine something. So other people also f- were feeling this, I feel. And again, part of this problem is stemming from the fact that they really wanted to be ambitious with this final season, upping the sci-fi, going huge on this post-apocalyptic future. But they were not given the budget to have 13 super ambitious episodes. They were only given the budget to obviously do like a few where they could really stretch it. So they needed to make a lot of episodes that are not bottle episodes, but are very small in terms of scale. So like this doesn't have huge flashy special effects. We're basically showing up with some people with bad skin and going through stuff so that we are not thinking, why are we not fighting the apocalypse? And it's because they had to go on this side quest. And it's because this final season was not given a huge budget increase because it was a show that Fox was green lighting just to reach that magic number and give fans closure. So I think that if they had been given a bigger budget, we would have seen grander storytelling that I feel would have gotten us more invested quickly in this. And you brought up one of the the key scenes about that Olivia and Peter thing where she does talk about maybe this is some sort of comeuppance because back when Etta disappeared, I was a Debbie Downer who believed that I was being punished because I was never fully on board with motherhood because I was a little bit worried that it was taking me away from this career that I had been plotting and some sort of grand destiny. And Peter says, no, no, this isn't punishment. This is a gift. It's like our second chance at being a family, blah, blah, blah. And like, I get it, but we still 
hitting that point again stressed to me how that choice narratively still felt false to me to the Olivia Dunham that I knew. And the fact that she would become this Debbie Downer when their daughter went missing and not turn into some sort of laser-focused, unrelenting machine who would do anything at all hours to get their daughter back just rang false to that workaholic Olivia Dunham who takes calls on the weekend because she was already up worrying about the cases. The fact that she would think, oh, maybe I was missing out on some other grand destiny by being a mother. She's been through so much grand destiny bullshit. I don't buy that for a second. So that being like a linchpin of this Peter and Olivia relationship and her trying to make up for sins of the past, I don't believe those sins would have occurred in the first place with the character that we knew for four seasons. So it just really feels like that tough pill to swallow. And with episodes like this, they are not giving me enough water to get that down. I do I, I do feel if they wanted to do that story angle with Olivia, but hearing you just talk about it now and thinking of, and thinking back about how Olivia has been since day one, her behavior doesn't track at all. It doesn't track at all because, like you said, if if Olivia from season one was put in this situation, Olivia from season, Olivia, a uh, season one Olivia would do anything that she had to do to get her daughter back, and Olivia from uh, uh, season one Olivia wouldn't fold like this version Olivia, like this version of Olivia seems to have done. So if they wanted to do that, I think that they could have accomplish that with a bigger episode order but like you said at this point the 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 overlord the fox all they cared about was getting to that magic number of 100 episodes for syndication which was re- which is really unfortunate because i think that i think that this final season could have been something very special but i think that uh fox sort of sort of cut it off at its knees and didn't give it and didn't give it room to really be what it could be for its final run. And we will have to see if they give it any more room to be all that it can be next week when we talk about episode four, the bullet that saved the world, and episode five, an origin story. Look, we appreciate anyone who's listened this far, especially about two episodes of Fringe that neither of us really loved. So thank you very much for listening. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe rate, comment, tell a friend, share a video, anything helps. Obviously, we're available wherever podcasts are, but we are also on YouTube. If you go to YouTube, our back episodes are on there, at Radio 815 on YouTube. If you want to reach out with any comments, questions, or concerns, you can do that on Twitter, at JJUniverse815, or using the hashtag Radio815. I am on Twitter. I am at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, you're on Twitter. How can the folks reach out to you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. You can come and talk to me about anything you want. Uh, Last of Us, Lost, whatever. Um, I'm at, I'm on Twitter, as Matt said, and I am quickfanatic88 on there. So I want to thank you guys again so much for listening. Tune in next week as we continue the fight for the future in this final season of Fringe. Until then, Radio 815, over and out. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.